If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Cats at Night. John Cats and Titi's here, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And right now we're being heard in 38 states and northern Canada and northern part of Europe. In the studio with us, we have uh, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, and Craig Eaton, welcome back from vacation, Craig Eaton. Thank you, thank you. Great to be nice, here. I you missed, got a nice I missed, tan there. I missed you guys. Yeah. Lydia, Lydia Serrani, uh, we have one great show for you today. I mean, what the heck is going on in our country? I I have no they clue. They seem to have found another I, stash of classified documents, this time next to a sweet little Corvette in a garage. Locations. There's three locations they found. it. I don't know why the FBI isn't swooping down with choppers and everyone else to try and find all these what documents. What is Garland like thinking about? They appointed a special counsel to yes, they find, did. apparently. And, but if you look at the uh, TV stations, a lot of the liberals and everything, they're saying that those documents were planted. <coughs> it's a really? double standard. At, at best, it's a double standard. Well, when right Trump now, has a document, we have Michael Goodwin on the line. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. He's also a New York Post columnist. Welcome back to Cats at Night, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Well, where, where, where do we Michael, start? Where do we begin? I mean, <laughs> I, I can't believe what's going on. Well, I would I would ask it another way. Where does this end? Um, so, so I'm reading the Wall Street Journal now online, and the timing of these batches. First of all, the journal's now reporting that there's a third finding. Um, and I, I'll, I'll tell you what the journal says. So the first one takes place November 2nd, right? We don't know anything about that until just the other day, November 2nd, before the midterms, right? It's kept secret all this time. The second one comes five weeks later on December 20th that they found these in the garage. So we're just hearing about it today, but it actually happened December 20th. And then the Wall Street Journal says Thursday morning, meaning today, Mr. Biden's lawyer told – this was the, the guy investigating, Mr. Lausch – that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's home in Wilmington, Delaware. So you now have three – he's like a Johnny Appleseed just dropping these things wherever he goes, three different well, You know places. what concerns me, Michael Goodwin? Uh, they were given to, to the uh, uh, Biden uh, sector in uh, at the university, you and bet. the Chinese made a big contribution, fifty million dollars to the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did they have access to those documents? Well, uh, that's a that's a good question. And another one is um, what's who has had access to them since? I mean, they've been sitting there for, what, uh, at least two or three years? Um, the garage, it's unlikely anyone would have been in there, but it's not impossible. And then the other one in the house. But what is he doing with these things? Why does he have them at all? He's He was the vice president. He was not entitled to take any classified documents out of the White House. 
Why did he do that? Why did he take them? What's in them? He wasn't entitled to take any documents out of the White House. The president could under the President Records Act, but the vice president, no. That's what I said, yes. I mean, so he doesn't have that right uh, with with any of these documents, presumably, that they were taken earlier. Now, this third one that's been reported, this third, the journal says just one document found in his house today— or was reported today, um, what's that about? I mean, that that presumably is something that, uh, well, I'm, I'm speculating, but it sounds like it's it's a more recent thing. He uses that house all the time. Why, why was there a classified document in the house? I mean, we know he goes on a lot of vacations there every weekend, 140 days since he take, took office. He's been on vacation. Um, but but what was that document doing? What's in these documents? I think that is the fundamental question for me, because to me, everything relates to Hunter Biden's businesses. And mm. uh, we, we were told the first doc, first batch included Ukraine, information on Ukraine. Well, and, and the question you raised, John, about the Chinese having access, because the Chinese were paying the Biden family. We, we know of at least $11 million dollars. Well, Michael, you know that many Michael. Chinese people made donations to the Penn Biden Center, some of it anonymously. Yeah, and Michael, mm. let's understand the relationship with the University of Pennsylvania Center. Joe Biden, after he left the vice presidency and had the center, was being paid a million dollars a year in perpetuity. Well, and what did he do for it, right? And That's exactly where did right. Penn get that money? That, <clears throat> that I think, is, is look. I, was I, the I, University of Pennsylvania a conduit? From well, the Chinese. Thank you, John. You you said it. You said it more cleanly than I was going to suggest. But <laughs> you know, was the money being washed through through Penn to give to Biden? And who became uh, ambassador? She's now the ambassador right. to Germany. The, the, the Another coincidence at the time. Another coincidence. But you know what's yeah, concerning here? Look, a lot, a fair number of people in the administration now. We're excuse me, also involved in the Penn Center, including Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State. So it was sort of an, a government in exile waiting to come into the White House. There are three or four people there. So it's all very mysterious. And, of course, you know, the, the president was very critical of Donald Trump having classified documents. And now we have that uh, now we seem to have a race who had the most classified documents. Mike, Mike, this is Craig Eaton. There's two things that concern me about this. The first is the cover-up. They hid it until after the midterm elections. I mean, that has to be investigated. You know, they weaponize the FBI and the DOJ against anything that Donald Trump does or says. And now they find classified documents in three locations for the president who was vice president, and they hide it until after the midterm. Secondly... What are Biden's handlers doing after this whole thing with Trump and the classified documents? You think they would have vetted out there what documents are out there and tried to take them back or do something with them? You you would think. Uh, but look, this is this to me is a perfect reminder of who Joe Biden really is. I mean, he can, you know, sit there and and act and try to act like he's the antidote to Donald Trump. And, you know, he'll never say his name. He can't he can't imagine how Trump could have these documents. And, you know, boy, look at that's right. Now we have a real president. And and meanwhile, he's doing the same thing. 
He's doing the same thing, and he has been doing it for years, it turns out. Almost right? worse, though, because he didn't have the privilege, the authority the right to, to do, do it. That. Yeah. That's right. He can make no argument that the documents were declassified because he doesn't have that power. But who's looking for these documents, and why now? Why are they surfacing now? Why not before? And why in Syriatum like this are they searching all their all their places now and who's doing it i would suggest they go to hunters and look for there i mean that would be the real find wouldn't it um i I don't know the answer ed i mean why now i mean the the first explanation was that they were cleaning out the office at the penn center because he no longer uses it but that's been true for quite some time um how do you explain the garage how do you explain these documents in the garage where did they where were they before they were in the garage and who saw them and then finally, this one in the house. I mean, so and and you know the hiding of it until after the midterms. But other this other one too, I have to say, my uh, I didn't have a chance to read all the stories until now. But this thing that it, it seems to me everybody believed that the second batch was just found. That that was certainly the impression that I got from the initial reporting yesterday. But it, now it turns out they were found on December 20th. Hmm. I mean, that, and that's before the, the election, November 2nd. The Justice Department. The first round, right. That was the second round. Right. But you the know, first it's, round, November 2nd. Second round, December 20th. Yeah, but the interesting that's question. When the lawyers told the, we don't know when they actually found them. That's when the lawyers told the Justice Department that they had found now, them. Now, with, these, with uh, President Biden and his son having these relationships with China, having these relationships with Ukraine. I mean, can can the American people be absolutely sure that President Biden has the best interests of our country in, in his heart? Well, I don't believe he does, but I'm, I'm not the judge and jury here. Um, I think it is smart that Merrick Garland appointed a special pro- prosecutor. I don't know why he waited since he knew about the second batch <clears throat> since December 20th. I don't know why now. Um, well, we, we had Professor Dershowitz, I remember. Where, and Professor Dershowitz always proclaimed that uh, uh, Garland was holier than holy and he was a straight guy and he should have been made Supreme Court uh, 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 justice. And, uh, I mean, could you imagine... If we would have made him a Supreme Court justice? Well, look, I, uh, it, it is hard to imagine that he would have, you know, not been the partisan hack that he's turned out to be. I mean, I think he's a very bitter man over that experience. But I, but to me, the the biggest issue is uh, is his handling of the Hunter Biden case. I mean, the FBI has had the laptop since 2019. And we are supposed to believe that here we are more than four years later, that they're still working on the case. And it's gotten, you know, that it takes four years to investigate and that there are there are almost no leaks. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary. This is this is not how the FBI normally operates. Why is there not a special counsel for that case? I mean, you, so we're supposed to trust Merrick Garland is going to honestly investigate the son of the president who appointed him? I mean, that on its face, that says 
that screams special counsel. So on on these documents that were found on these documents that were found, they've put a special counsel, Bob Herr. What do we know about him? We do know that Jack Smith, the one put on uh, Trump's and his papers at Mar-a-Lago, that uh, that he's a killer. He's the guy who sunk Bob McDonald, and then it, on the the terms that he did it were thrown out by the Supreme Court. Uh, right. And he's also doing January 6th. He's also investigating Trump on the January 6th and the events leading up to it and after it. Yeah. So what um, do we know about Bob Herr? Herr was the U.S. attorney in Maryland for four years, appointed by Trump, uh, has left the government, I believe. Uh, and the, the guy who was first appointed to this, Ro Lausch, uh, told, uh, told Biden or told Merrick Garland that he was planning to leave the government. Apparently, he didn't want to take on the second batch of documents. And so that's why they came up with uh, her. And now we have a third document, at least one document more. So it, it, it's all very, I think, difficult to believe that there is one system of justice. I mean, it's hard to see anything more important right now than the fact that the Justice Department is on trial. Because will, will Joe Biden and Hunter Biden be treated like a Donald Trump or any other citizen? Was Donald Trump being treated like any other citizen? I mean, I, I really think that Merrick Garland has has history on him now, because if he doesn't come up with clear explanations and fairness, doesn't pass the fairness test in all three of these cases, Trump and both Bidens, I tell you, I think history will not be kind to him. And there's a subcommittee that was especially formed to deal with the weaponization of the governmental agencies. Yeah. Well, Andy, and McCarth- Andy McCarthy was on Fox Business before. He was on with Larry Kudlow, and he says that the FBI should investigate because these are multiple crime scenes. Well, and I did say that uh, the FBI director... Uh, Christopher Ray, Christopher Ray should stand up and be a man and, and, and say, this is what's going on, and I demand a special prosecutor that I, I would report to. Well, that's what you have now. So you have that. Uh, And I I think that uh, that's obviously the right decision. But I'm still troubled by the timeline here. What's been going on since November 2nd? The American people are being conned. Mm -hmm. C-O-N-N-E-D. We are being conned. We are being lied to. Thank you so much, uh, Michael Goodwin, Goodwin for, for coming on and telling the American people the truth and we will seek the truth. That's great. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Let's awesome. let's take a break right now, and uh, then uh, we're going to come back with Lou Dobbs to find out how the financial markets are doing. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on seventy-seven WABC. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Lou Dobbs. He's a political and financial commentator, author, TV host. He hosts the Great American Great America show on iHeart Radio as well as on LouDobbs.com. And he has his report here 
with us at 5.30, right? 5.30 every night on uh, Cats at Night. Oh, many times during the day. Many yes. times during the day. Several times during the day. And so now we have you live. Lou Dobbs, welcome back to Cats at Night. Well, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Uh, Lou Dobbs, uh, I uh, put out a uh, a uh, press release this morning, and I said that uh, uh, I said to our Jay Powell, our Fed chairman, that leave things alone. Don't raise rates more than a certain amount. Otherwise, our country is suffering. I mean, we're destroying the real estate industry. Uh, home starts are down to zero. Uh, construction starts are down to uh, very little. Uh, Tell us about your analysis about how you see today's report. Well, taking a look at this report, I think there's every reason to think that inflation is coming under control. Uh, The rate hikes are having the desired uh, impact, desired by the Federal Reserve. Uh, And like you, I wish that this this Fed chairman would just constrain himself a bit. Uh, he's talking way too much. He starts talking about social uh, agendas that he does not want the Fed to uh, approach. And I agree with him on that. But they have a uh, 50% uh, political agenda, as you know, anyway, because they look at the employment levels uh, and have to report to Congress on it twice a year. Uh, we're looking at a point here now where the Fed chairman said there's going to be pain. There will be real pain, not only for the real estate uh, segment, but for the the vast numbers, millions of Americans who work for a living uh, in this country uh, who are going to be be punished unfairly, I believe. I think this is a good time to wait and see uh, for a Fed chairman. Absolutely. You know, the people that are suffering right now uh, are uh, the, the poor and the middle class. They're, they're, they're overpaying for their gasoline. They're overpaying for their food. They're the ones that are suffering. And um, we just have to bring things under control. And, and absolutely. And we have a, a, an administration uh, that has been singularly uh, focused on uh, a Marxist-dim agenda. Uh, there's no other way to describe it uh, from this White House with wide-open borders Uh, Five to six million illegal immigrants coming in, which is depressing wages for the uh, the for the skilled workers in this country who are in construction primarily. Uh, We are looking at a real disaster as a result of some wrongheaded policies, whether you're Democrat or Republican. I think most people understand that high inflation, an economy that is on the verge of going into a severe downward spiral. It's time to back off on those rates and give the country a little time to breathe. This this president has taken us from one policy crisis to the next, uh, and it's time for him to just uh, perhaps uh, you know go to one of those vacation homes and just relax for a couple of weeks. So, Lou, Ed Cox here. Uh, I think it was Ed Hyman, a leading economist, who started this, this saying that we're going to have a dip and rip. Are you a mm-hmm. dip and rip guy? <laughs> Well, I'll take the uh, the dip, but I don't even need the rip. Uh, I just like to see steady, stable uh, conditions here for a few months, and then I'd like to see this uh, the growth really take hold. We're we're just so close, it seems to me, uh, in getting to a point where we can look to our markets to stabilize and to grow. I think that these early January indicators are that this could be a very good year. 
Uh, we have so many people, Ed, talking down uh, this economy right now, whether it is the banking uh, industry. I mean, my gosh, why are these bankers r- running off at the mouth about uh, the conditions and the recession that they anticipate? We're watching Wall Street firms that are cu- cutting uh, their, their staff, uh, by the way, in prospect of dire economic times, not in response to those times uh, extant right now. Well, this the, is the a thought, the thought is it's just going to be another a small dip, and then the markets take off after that. That's well, we that, have to we have to hope for that. Ed. You yep. know, Lou, this is Craig Eaton. I do a lot of transactional real estate here in New York and New Jersey, sure. and it's come to a full stop right now with the interest rates going up. You're starting right. to see the real estate prices starting to dip a little bit, um, but look at all the industries that are being hurt by the rise in in the interest rates. The title companies, the banks, the construction, the contractors, the real estate brokers, the lawyers. I mean, the real estate market is is central. Like John said before, the market is sideways right now. And unless we can get the interest rates back down and start to develop interest in buying and selling real estate, we're in trouble. There are very few industries that are as interest rate sensitive as the real estate uh, yeah. as the construction of the yeah. real estate industries and you're exactly right i truly believe that if we can bring jerome powell to the table sit him down very quietly have a just a nice casual conversation saying please jerome please just quit trying to lead the markets and let's start reacting to the reality in front of us well, I agree. I, so that, lou, i mean that's where i am lou it's richard weinberg uh, I, I just want to say that I thought it was a hopeful sign when he said, it, in essence, it's not our job at the Fed to uh, be social engineering with respect to a Green New Deal. I thought that was a very helpful comment because I think the political forces are trying to manipulate the Fed to carry out their left-wing Green New Deal agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think him saying that is a helpful sign. What do you say? Oh, I, I agree with you completely, and I hope. Uh, that those bankers that I just mentioned and, uh, and and every CEO in the country of major corporations understands that uh, it's not only uh, the Green New Deal and uh, climate change that uh, they need to avoid uh, at the Fed. It's every one of those institutions. This ESG nonsense, we have got CEOs and boards suddenly trying to brag about uh, a, an agenda that is is frankly it's uh, it's anti-growth it's irrational it's not based on anything empirical uh, it is purely ideological and it's not an ideology that comports to either capitalism or this uh, this republic uh, Lou Dobbs I know we've got a minute left I have a question for you Wells Fargo they announced that they're kind of getting out of the mortgage business they're going to give them out very sparingly but they will prioritize giving them to people of color what is that about? Like, again, so now Wells Fargo's gone woke on us. Do white people not deserve uh, mortgages as well? Well, Wells Fargo is trying to virtue signal as hard as it can. It is once again had to pay out uh, over $3 billion in fines uh, for corrupt activities uh, in, in their bank that persisted for way too long. It's why they have a new CEO. Uh, it is a bank that needs to understand the regulators will come to see them. Uh, because they are violating d- discrimination laws and regulations of all sorts. Whoever put out that release from Wells Fargo ought to have his or her head examined. Uh, and the board should be right on alert right now because those regulators are not going to tolerate it. Can you imagine if the shoe was yeah, on the other foot and a major bank came out and said, no, we're only going to give mortgages to white people. <laughs> I mean, this is the craziest thing. 
It, it's funny well, because we were, though my phone is blowing up, I'm getting texts from architects and engineers and appraisers saying we're also losing out on this industry now with the interest rates so high. So, you know, it even goes further. They're destroying the, the – look, I'm in the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. I just got a, a, a $250 million mortgage for a building we're building. Yeah. That was three times the amount I paid for the previous mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. Uh, it, mm. it's it's Strangling interest rate sensitive uh, you know you're talking about the real estate market without question and people forget there's also another uh, impact and it's on taxpayers citizens and our government we're paying double what we were a year ago for the debt uh, of this government this country uh, it's it's doubled in that course of time and this is there will be serious consequences if we don't bring that to heal Lou Dobbs last question Tomorrow morning, the big banks are reporting earnings. Any predictions? I think everybody's going to be uh, uh, pleased with uh, how positive they are. Well, thank you so much. Thank you you so much. Let's uh, let's take a break. We're going to go to the Lou Dobbs report, uh, which was with us four or five times a day. And after that, maybe David Patterson will call it. John Katz and Batiz. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Governor David Patterson. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Too bad you couldn't be here in person. But we did hear Governor Hochul give you a shout out during the State of the State address there, Governor. So you must know what's going on in Albany then. Well, I guess I know as much as anyone else does. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that... Um, this will be an, an interesting year because now the governor has been reelected. She's had a chance to sh- set her agenda. She uh, kind of raised a couple of issues and then pulled back in the speech, which I saw as a shot across the bow. But as I said when I was there a couple of weeks ago, I think by, uh, by April, we'll very, really have a very good idea what her uh, service in this term will be. Okay. Governor, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you about developments with respect to the nomination of uh, – Judge LaSalle, uh, I see that Jonathan Lippman, who you appointed as chief judge of the, of the state and is our good friend and a fine judge, announced that his, in his analysis there's an obligation of the state Senate to put on the floor for the full Senate a vote on the nomination of Judge LaSalle. It's not enough to just have consideration by the committee. And he says if it doesn't happen that they put on the floor, that could be the subject of litigation. What say you, Governor? I think he's right because the committee, what the committee is doing so that everybody in the Senate doesn't have to be worried about this particular issue. So you have different types of legislation that go to different committees. And in this case, it would be the uh, uh, Judiciary Committee, and they, um, you know, come up with an answer. But I don't think the committee is able or given the right to stop a nomination by themselves, I think at a point that uh, they have a problem with the judge, that it would still go to the full Senate for confirmation. And But Stuart Cousins, who's majority leader, Senator Stuart Cousins, is taking the position, well, if the committee handles it, there's no need to go any further. They, they, they can bottle it up there. And Hoyleman is, is, she, just, is she dumb or is she just kidding around? She does whatever Janaris uh, tells her to do. That's what the, the dirty little secret in Albany 
is that Gineris is running the state Senate, and he's controlled by the Working Families Party and the progressives, and he does what they want, and she just goes along with the program. Gineris is the power in the state Senate. Gineris is well, also Honor, uh, is also I, mad as hell about what happened with uh, that the former chief judge did with redistricting. Well, they got rid of her real fast. Uh, he Jesse did, and, and he's responsible for getting rid of her. Governor, Dirty. Governor, you're, you're up. Uh, one of what I remember when I was in the Senate is that you could make a motion to discharge a bill out of committee. Usually, this was something that we would do when we knew we were going to lose, but we just wanted to make a point that this uh, bill isn't being heard on the floor. I think if there was a motion to discharge the uh, bill from committee, that would actually be the vote on the issue of the judge itself because. If enough senators vote the, the judge out of committee, then there'll be enough senators to confirm uh, Mr. LaSalle. Now, who was saying today that uh, uh, they're not going to allow the Republicans to vote? How can people say dumb things like that? Uh, well, is- that would that would be where uh, only the you know where the, the Democrats have the majority in the committee, and once they hit a number where they have a majority of the vote. I don't understand why you wouldn't let somebody else vote. You've already won the. You've already won. Yeah, but it, but if it's going to go to the floor of the Senate, what do you mean the, the, that that the Republicans can't vote? Somebody said that today, Judge. It makes no sense. Yes. They, they have to. Yes, vote. Said, said to to us in a, in a, in a private meeting that was that was a private meeting. There, meeting. So, there are some senators yes. who say a lot are of you dumb all things. Willing to uh, admit who who brought this up? No, absolutely no. not. That's <laughs> why it's a private crap. meeting, Governor. <laughs> <laughs> At least, please put up the money to send this person to counseling. <laughs> well, you're very, you, you, you know him is. very well. Wait till you find out who it is. But wow. we'll never tell. We'll never we'll tell. We'll never tell on, on the air in front of a million people. <laughs> so, Governor, a million yeah. people are not going to know. Governor, Maybe you, you'll know. You'll know. You got a great shout-out uh, from the governor as state of the state. But what do you think of the state of, his, of the state? Uh, I thought that... Uh, she did pick some good issues to talk about. I think the mental health uh, plan that she has is very good. Uh, I think that um, she, when it got to crime, she said that that the uh, bail reform that they passed was good. What people were upset about is that they didn't go and address the issue of dangerousness. She said, but I think we could have an adult conversation about uh, bail reform and how we could tweak it again. So she's saying that she's going to bring that up with them. And I honestly think she's going to do it. And really, I don't think it's the hardest thing to strike a comp- compromise there because what we're really talking about isn't assessing the bail based on the type of crime or what the defendant, uh, you know, you know, something that would be unfair. We're assessing it based on perhaps prior acts that would lead one to believe that this individual who stands before the court cannot be trusted to either come back for the trial or they can't be trusted to not get to the trial without harming someone else. Governor, this is Craig, Craig Eaton. But but by the same token, we need to make sure that they give the discretion back to the judges. I mean, look today, Manhattan D.A. Bragg offered a sweetheart plea deal to a suspect in a brutal anti-Semitic attack. And the guy said, I will definitely do it again. I would do it again. By the way, let's be clear. I'm, I'm telling you as a former Supreme yeah. Court justice, 
the a judge with some brains and some guts will not take that plea deal. Yeah. So the plea deal is six months in exchange. He was facing ten years. Ten years. Yeah. For a so if you assault. if it came before you, what would you say in judge? Said, no way. You want to have a real conversation? Have a real conversation. This guy's looking at hard time. That's what I would say. And any judge worth his or her salt would say the same thing with this kind of anti-Semitic attack where he was brutally beaten by a mob, and this guy was the ringleader, and said he would do it again. What are, you're rewarding him? No contrition. None. That's defense. exactly right, yeah. Governor. Yeah. No contrition. And by the way, and even if he was so-called contrite because his lawyer told him to pretend you're contrite, I'd still give him a hard time. How's that? Now, since we're talking about mentally ill, uh, why don't we get in, uh, and Governor, stay in the line. Get Stefan Ideon from Ide. the Manhattan Institute. Wants to talk about mentally ill? Right. He's of the Manhattan Institute. So uh, Governor Hochul announced during her State of the State address that she wants to allocate a billion dollars to help the mentally ill. And he's, on, go ahead. he's ready. OK, so welcome. Uh, welcome back to Cats at Night. Stephen Ide of the Manhattan Institute. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. We got Governor. Uh, we got Governor Patterson on the phone right now, too. And and he's been talking about the mentally ill in the studio with us. We got Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, uh, Craig Eaton and Lydia Serrani. Uh Let's talk about the mentally ill. There's a big problem. I was told that many, many, many years ago in a, a, in a land called New York, there used to be 27,000 mentally ill people in hospitals and we're down to very few. A few thousand. The rest of them are called, they changed the name of the mentally ill and call them homeless. Yeah, it's right, 90,000, over 90,000. Yeah, now we're down to, yeah. Yeah. And so all those people just magically were cured. No, or, they put them on the streets of New York. I know. I'm being facetious. I know. Oh. Well, yeah, back at that time, you know, you had these old guys on the Bowery, and everybody knew that they had problems with alcoholism. But the, on the streets with the mentally ill, that was not an issue that we were talking about back then, no. The problem. Well, tell us, what the hell are we, we going to do? She's going to put up a billion dollars to help, which I welcome it. What are we going to do? Okay, so you got to think of what Hochul and Adams are doing as two parts of the, the problem. Okay, so you're talking about psychiatric hospitalization. There's the legal dimension. There's the financial dimension. Legally, that's what Adams tried to tackle with his plan in November, saying you don't have to wait. Okay, you don't have to wait till somebody attacks somebody, pushes somebody in the subway. If you th- see that person deteriorating in public, they're not meeting their basic living needs. You can take them in and have them evaluated for civil commitment. Okay, so that's the legal piece, very controversial. What Hochul said, but you've got to have a, a bed to put that person. And over the years, as you alluded to, New York City has lost tens of thousands of beds. And just in the last decade, over you know, during the, under Cuomo and de Blasio's watch, Hundreds of beds were lost, and more beds were lost because of COVID-related reasons. Hochul said, we're going to start bringing beds back to make sure we have a place to put people when, um, when we commit them. So the pieces are very compatible, and, you know, at least we stopped the bleeding. I think it's, we're in a little bit better place than we were five, ten years ago. Yeah, but the problem, the problem is, and I ran the Special Narcotics Court for about five or six years, and I had jurisdiction over all five counties, all five boroughs in New York City, there's a overlap between the mentally ill, the homeless, and drug addiction. And we don't have the facilities to handle people with those kinds of problems. Not just that they don't have a place to sleep or a place to live. They need to deal with the drug addiction. They need to deal with the mentally ill. Judge, when you sentence somebody, where did they go? Well, that, that was always a problem because you needed to find beds for them when they, when they had that problem. And 
And as Mr. Irish pointed out, we did not have the facilities to do that. Well, you got Rikers Island. We could reconvert some of those buildings. Exactly right. You can make a whole center there to give the people that treated that who need that kind of treatment. They're exactly right, John. Well, yeah, I mean, one phrase that's thrown around that we need a continuum of care, we need various type of options, but when you're talking about the really severe, the hardest cases, okay, the most disturbed cases, that's a crisis situation. You really need a hospital bed for that, and New York has really been lacking. So right now, they're focusing on the hospital piece. It's not going to fix everything, but I would say it's a step forward. So are we going back to institutionalization of uh, people who have mental uh, issues? Is that what it, you remember? That's the way it was way back when. Then along came the film, Titicut Follies and other things, sort of the crazy things are going on in those institutions. And then the idea that, well, let's uh, let's give them their meds on the streets, right? Hey, that, that's exactly the problem, that movies like The Shrike and One Threw Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it was a British movie I don't remember back in the 70s, Everybody felt bad for the patients, and they started um, paring back some of the regulations. In fact, there were cases where people were sent to um, a facility because they were unfit to stand trial. They couldn't understand the charges or help their lawyer. But while they were there, um, their classification was changed. So when they appeared to get better, they were let out when what they should have done was send them back to be tried on that case. And there's a Supreme Court case that talks about that, Jackson versus Indiana. But uh, I think that the, what the governor did is a good start, and we'll just see how far it can go. It's going to take more than a billion dollars. Tell, tell yeah, us, uh, I mean, Stefan, how bad is it on the streets of New York? Well, we don't really have perfect information, but, you know, when you're talking about the hardcore street homeless population, I could say there could easily be over 1,000 people with untreated serious mental illness. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's been a stubborn problem for a long time. You know, people haven't seen much progress. You know, crime goes way down throughout the 90s. Um, But the situation on the streets with the severely mentally ill, you don't seem to see major improvements. Things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. So, um, you know, that's always been something that New York needed needed to tackle. For right now, at least, we're laying down a foundation. Hopefully we can build on that foundation. Stephen Ide and, of course, Governor Patterson. I remember there were First Lady Sherlane, right, de Blasio? Yeah. And she said she was – how much did she for Thrive? How, what was it, $2 billion? What was it? I think it was about a billion dollars. I think it was $1.25 billion. Yeah. $1.25 billion. So Where is that money? That's what I want to know. Uh, that's the billion-dollar question. Why was there no special prosecutor looking into that? So I'm a little skeptical. Every time somebody says we want to do something about the mentally ill, they don't deserve to be criminalized, we need a billion dollars, and then – what are the results? Well, that's an excellent point. I mean, yeah, what she wanted to do was all what I would describe as wellness type stuff, okay? Everybody's got anxiety. Everybody's got issues. I mean, th- these th- these ideas are always out there. If you're investing money in psychiatric hospital beds, you at least have a degree of confidence that that is going to not just wellness, but the seriously mentally ill. So that's why it's at least a modest improvement. That's good. And she's talking about operational capacity of 1,000 beds for inpatient psychiatric psychiatric treatment. But it might be 25,000 in the street. What are you going to do with 1,000 beds? Right, and 3,500 units of housing. But, you know, I don't but, know. But how do you get them to, to, Seems to be institutionalized? Most of the mentally ill don't want to be 
Right. They want to be out on the street. So, so that it's a slippery because they're, slope. they're incapable of making a rational but, decision. But to how get do help. you get them? So, what are you going to start arresting them? You put or? them on Rikers yeah. Island and you yeah. put alligators around idea. Rikers Island. Right. And then you get the ACLU. Suing your alligators. <laughs> I like that, John. Alligators. Import the crowd. <laughs> tell a few jokes. <laughs> Build a moat. A uh, moat. Yeah, with the drawbridge. Okay. Well, we got to take a Thank you so much, uh, Stephen Ide and Governor Patterson. You're welcome to stay on. I saw you were sneezing there, so hopefully you will feel better. Thank you, Stephen Ide. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to take a break, and when we come back, what the heck is going on in Queens? What the heck is going on in Congress? George Santos. We're going to have with us Bruce Blakeman, the uh, county executive of uh, Nassau County. John Katzenbatini's 77 WABC. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katzenbatini's on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Show. Cats at Night on the line for us right now is Bruce Blakeman. He's a Nassau County Executive. Welcome back to Cats at Night, sir. Thank you so much. Are you, have you guys got Nassau County under control yet? What's going on? Everything's under control. Okay. We're, we're having we're ha- we just had a record year of achievement, and uh, we're looking forward with great optimism and very. Uh, and a lot of excitement on the coming year that's uh, that's about to unfold. Now, are we going to run Al D'Amato for the congressional seat <laughs> if it's vacant? Uh, listen, he, he was a great public servant, and uh, certainly someone of his stature would be a terrific addition to our congressional delegation. He'll teach the, he'll he'll teach them in Congress. He'll teach them a lesson over there in Washington. When we brought it up, he didn't turn it down right it, away. He didn't we, he didn't say no. Last night we established a whole campaign committee for him. Yeah, well listen, you know what? I I, I think he'd make a great candidate. He was a great elected official. All right. Now the the biggest problem is I understand the Nassau getting a little more serious now. The Nassau County Republican Club has asked them Asked uh, George Santos to resign, and I, I, and he says no, no way is he resigning. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what's the procedure? What goes on now in Congress? They, they, they I know, I know. Uh, Kevin McCarthy needs every vote he can get. Well, the the process, Bruce, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. The process is by two thirds vote they can expel him for conduct unbecoming. The political reality is that. Uh, McCarthy is majority leader, needs the vote, and also Santos won't resign because he needs something to negotiate with. My, what I want to ask uh, the county executive about, what I'm very concerned about, is the reference in the governor's address where she talked about changing the zoning controls away from the local governments and controlling by the state. What say you, Bruce? Well, I don't think that taking away uh, local control is going to lead to any more housing. I think it'll lead to litigation. Uh, I think basically the best way uh, to have land use control is on the local level, not a universal law uh, emanating out of Albany. However, I I think that there is a potential uh, to make the governor happy that she's making progress on housing and at the same time making sure that we secure the suburban nature of Nassau County. So I would love to have a conversation with the governor and her staff and talk about 
ways that we can achieve some of her goals. But the governor has to understand that every part of the state is not one size fits all. Here in Nassau and Suffolk County, we have a finite amount of land. We are surrounded by water. We have uh, a lot of density right now. We have a lot of traffic issues. We have tremendous environmental concerns. Our school districts pretty much are filled to the brim. So uh, what may sound like a good idea for a county north of Westchester is not necessarily a good idea here on Long Island. So I, I really think that we have to have that conversation. And uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity with the governor's office to explain to her how everybody that's moved to Nassau County and Suffolk County uh, wants local land control, and they do not want the density of New York City. That's why they left New York City. I would venture to guess, I don't have any hard statistics, but I would venture to guess that probably 80% of the people that move into Nassau and Suffolk County are from the Bronx, Brooklyn, or Queens. And there's a reason for that. They want to live in a suburban area. They don't want to live in an urban area. So I, I think that uh, trying to control land use uh, universally uh, from Albany is a bad idea, but I'm certainly open to having a conversation about trying to achieve some of the governor's goals in, in providing more housing. But again, we are unique on Long Island, and you can't paint us with the same broad brush that you do with the rest of the state. Bruce, this is Craig Eaton. It's always good to talk to you on the radio here. Um, you know, the whole thing with George Santos, um, I mean, I want to I want to commend uh, Chairman Cairo for taking this position because, you know what, I mean, it, it tarnishes the Republican Party. You know, in Brooklyn, we have a situation where there's an assemblyman who lived in Manhattan and ran in Brooklyn, um, and, and that's a similar kind of situation. But you know what, we have to start running candidates. Our candidates need to be truthful. You know, you can't be running on a platform and a bunch of lies. Well, absolutely, and I cannot deal with somebody who is an habitual liar, yeah, yeah. and that's George Santos. And how can I possibly have a conversation about transportation, the environment, public health, economic development, safety, or a constituent complaint with somebody who's not truthful? And you can't uh, trust, and then you can't trust. I agree. It's completely impossible. So, uh I have said that I will not deal with George Santos and that the people in the third congressional district, if there are federal issues, then I will deal directly with the federal government or I'll deal with other elected officials, such as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, um, who, quite frankly, has been very responsive to Nassau County. And, uh, of course, Anthony D'Esposito, who is the congressman in the southern part of the county. Uh, and doing a great job in the short time that he's been there. And Congressman Andrew Garbarino, uh, who uh, has a small part of Nassau County. Uh, I don't have to deal with a liar. I can deal with people who have uh, demonstrated that they are people of honesty and integrity and people that I can trust. Well, thank you, Bruce Blakeman, for coming on. And uh, thank you for doing such a great job in Nassau County. And people are moving to Nassau County because you keep them safe in Nassau County, I understand. Absolutely. We've got a great police department, <laughs> and we're doing a great job. We've got a great district attorney. So uh, 
We're welcome to have new residents. Thank, thank you so much. And thank you uh, all in the studio, uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, Ed Cox, Craig Eaton, Lydia Serrani, John Katzmatidis here. And what do we all stand for? Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless America. We need God's blessing. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. News first at 59 past the hour. 77 WABC News starts now. 77 WABC News first at 59 past the hour. 51 degrees. We have light rain on this Thursday, January 12th. Good evening. I'm Bob Brown. 77 WABC weather alerts. Get ready for some stormy weather moving in tonight. Heavy rain at times through this evening and overnight with gusty winds. There also could be a thunderstorm. The forecast coming up. Mayor Adams laying out his $103 billion spending plan for the 2024 budget. He calls city spending on migrants a moving target. If we open the borders again, it's going to increase uh, uh, even uh, more. Despite agreements to stop receiving large numbers of migrants from El Paso, Adams says migrants continue to arrive in the city. Trust me when I tell you, our numbers. <laughs> John Katzenberg.